Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stuff We Love Podcast. I'm your host, Scott, and I cannot tell you how excited I am to welcome back to the show this evening a returning champion, one of the all-time great guests on the Stuff We Love Podcast, my longtime friend, Dan. Dan, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well, Scott. Thank you, uh, as always, for having me back on the uh, on the podcast. It's always a good time and definitely looking forward to um, our conversation tonight. Very excited. We're going to be talking tonight about the reissue of the Beatles album Revolver, which was just uh, released a few weeks ago in many configurations. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But Dan, let me begin by asking you, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, November 30th. Uh, have you been listening to Christmas music? I have. Yeah, I have been listening to Christmas music. And, um, you know, I, I generally start right after Thanksgiving. I'm kind of uh, old school in that way. I, I go back to growing up where that's when um, the Christmas season began. Sure. Um, after Thanksgiving, that's when you started listening to the music. That's when the decorations went up. You know, I, I still kind of hold that tradition. Um, I know, you know, for a lot of people, uh, Christmas uh, stuff starts like, you know, right after Halloween <laughs> yes. or sometime before but um i'm i'm one of those who i'm not big on 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 starting uh the the, the celebration until we're in the season and um, we're definitely in the season now there's no doubt about yes. it once thanksgiving hits dan before we get to the discussion on revolver uh, let's take a moment to talk about something which you suggested earlier today which i thought was a great idea and that's to say a few words about the passing of christine mcvee from fleetwood mac she died today at the age of 79 after a short illness. The news broke this afternoon and um, it was very, it was shocking. It was uh, unexpected, obviously, to her fans around the world, to Fleetwood Mac's fans. And I just wanted you to share your thoughts on Fleetwood Mac and Christine McVie and uh, her contributions to music. You know, um, Fleetwood Mac is probably one of the most interesting bands I think in, in, in rock, um, considering that most people are just familiar with the, uh, the, for lack of a better moniker, the money lineup of Fleetwood Mac, which was the, the, uh, Lindsey Buckingham, uh, Stevie Nicks, um, lineup with, with John McVie and Mick Fleetwood and, and, and Christine McVie. Um, but you know, they started in the, uh, late 60s i think 67 66 67 as a as a blues band um led by peter green um and then eventually evolved into you know the fleetwood mac we know from like the 1975 self-titled and rumors of course and, and uh where you know stevie nicks gets a lot of the attention um you know christine mcbee was was very pivotal to the sound of fleetwood mac and from fleetwood mac moving from that blues band to what they eventually became with that that money lineup um you know she played on some of the early albums um 68 69 and 70 with uh when peter green was still in the band having just left the band she joined the band you know full-time in 71 so she was there for for quite a long time and um was uh, you know a fixture in the band when um when when stevie and Lindsay joined so i think she was uh, part of that formula that created the Fleetwood Mac that most people, you know, know and love today. I don't think without her, um, her 
uh, keyboard playing and piano playing without her songwriting for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and without her voice, which blended so well with um, Lindsey Buckingham and, and Stevie Nicks, I don't think you would have that, that Fleetwood Mac sound. And I, and I don't know if they would have progressed into what they became from how they started without her. Yeah, that's well said and um, very meaningful. I, I knew, of course, who she was, and I don't, but I don't think I recognized the extent of her contributions to the group's songwriting. And when I was thinking about the hit songs that she sings lead on, which would be Little Lies and Everywhere, ever since I first heard those songs, there was something very smooth and pristine about the quality of her voice, something very soulful about it in a way. And um, I don't really have anything to add much beyond what you've said. I think it's a sad loss. Peter Green died a couple of years ago. Am I correct about that? Mm -hmm. that... Yeah. And um, yeah. just uh, it's it's a tough loss for the music industry. I think people were very hurt by it because Fleetwood Mac's contributions to our society, both in the past and more recently, they've certainly gone viral in some trends and a new generation has mm -hmm. become familiar with their music. It's it's really sad. It's a very sad loss. Uh, that's uh, it's tough. For sure, definitely. And, um, you know, if I would recommend, uh, if you really want to listen to um, a great song that I think really showcased um, Christine McVie's, both her piano playing and, and, and her voice, um, it would be uh, uh, Songbird, which mm -hmm. is, I believe, on Rumors. Um, just a beautiful song. And uh, I'll probably, now that I mentioned it, listen, it to, listen to it tonight uh, when, we, when we wrap up. Nice. That's a good good way to pay tribute to her. And uh, with that, we'll now turn to our main discussion tonight, which is about the reissue of the Beatles album, Revolver. And Dan, you and I have talked about Revolver in the past here on the podcast, but for listeners that may not be familiar with it, I'll just give a very brief overview of where Revolver fits into the Beatles' overall catalog. The album came out originally in 1966. It was the follow-up to Rubber Soul and the album before Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And in my mind, kind of marks this transition where the Beatles go from a folk rock group into a psychedelic group. And Revolver, over time, it was always respected, but Sgt. Pepper's usually held the mantle when people would say, what's the greatest Beatles album of all time? In recent years, there's been a change to that. It seems like Revolver is often replacing Sgt. Pepper on Beatles' greatest album lists and even appearing at number one on all-time great albums list. Uh, it's a beautiful album. The artwork on the cover was designed by the Beatles' longtime friend and collaborator, Klaus Vorman. It's a very well-known cover. I'm sure you all have seen it. And the tracks on the album, which we'll talk about tonight, are very varied from tracks displaying classical influences to Beach Boys influences, psychedelic rock, Indian influences, and so forth. So it's, to me, always been one of the great Beatles albums. And it was released in this um, reissued package a few weeks ago with a remix done by Giles Martin and Sam O'Kell, just like with the other Beatles reissues in the past couple of years. It was released in a box set, individual CD, double CD, vinyl, et cetera, et cetera, and also released digitally on all the streaming services, some of which were in Dolby Atmos, like Apple Music and Amazon Music. Dan, where for you does Revolver rank in your all-time Beatles favorite albums list? Um, that is a uh, very good question. It, it's kind of a re uh, evolving question now, or evolving answer, I should say, because I think it was always in the top five. Um, there was always something that I, uh, you know, really liked about it. 
Um, and then as, as, as I think time has gone on, um, just developing a better appreciation for the album and then listening to this box set. Um, I think, you know, uh, when I always talk about my favorite, uh, uh, Beatles album, um, I always talk about the white album one for nostalgia reasons, because it was the first one I really listened to. And two, uh, because I like the, the varying styles of, of the songs on the record and, um, and listening to the record again, um, with this, this new release, I, I began to feel that Revolver pulls off the varying styles a lot better than I think the White Album does. Um, and that's probably a, a, a controversial statement to make. You could devote a podcast, a whole series of podcasts. Probably, probably. But I, I just feel like it, 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 it does. It mm-hmm. kind of, um, I think, with the white album there's a again it's a double album um and as i think ringo said there's a lot a lot of information on a double album for sure um but you know you had some of the tracks on on the white album where you might question why they're there and you know i don't know if i would have put that there i don't know if that really fit or that kind of doesn't work and and i think with revolver you go through these different styles and you never feel like oh that doesn't really belong it all kind of fits together um, in a in a pretty I feel in a pretty seamless way and it, and and it's an interesting um, it's interesting that it does because it's so varied mm-hmm. uh, when you look at the individual songs I mean I feel like you have songs that were um, maybe could have been well I, you know I used to think that you have songs that could have been on earlier albums but Again, listening to it again now, with this reissue, I I don't I don't know if if, if any of those songs could have been on earlier albums uh, because there's elements of all of them that are progressing ahead of where they've been and moving them into where they're going. Um, so I I think uh, I think even that is a statement that I've made in the past that I might rethink. Dan, you're making me question so much here. I'm going through the track list in my mind and thinking, can I picture any of those songs on Rubber Soul? Now, George Harrison famously said in the Beatles anthology documentary, he always looked at Rubber Soul and Revolver as volume one and volume two. I never really did. I think maybe, eh, I don't. I was going to say maybe here, there. No, 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 no. There's no track on Revolver that to me is a folk rock track which is what I think of when I think of rubber soul and help mm-hmm. before that. Um, it's a, it's a great comment and I'm going to be thinking about that. I may text you in like two weeks when I think of something, <laughs> but anyhow, what I wanted to do tonight was kind of group when it comes to talking about the remixes. Well, look, actually Dan, let's get to that in a moment. Let me just say one thing about the deluxe edition of the release. And that's related to the book that comes with it. I am in the middle of the book now. I have not finished it. Just like with the other deluxe editions of the Beatles reissues, it's a coffee table style book. Great photographs, great text. There's an introduction by Paul McCartney, Giles Marnin. Um, Questlove wrote an article about in there. And it's fantastic. I don't have anything negative to say about it. I can't really add anything to that because I'm making my, my way through it. The deluxe edition is expensive, but that book is a perk. And uh, how are you doing on the book? Have you finished it? I have not. I have not finished it yet. Um, I just started it 
um, actually the other day when I when I first uh, got the bo- the uh, the set the box set I skimmed through it, yeah. um, looked at the photos, uh, read a couple of things, but uh, I'm just kind of breaking into it now. Yeah, it's um, good. I'm looking forward to encountering all of the the great stuff that you just discussed. I think you'll like it. I, I uh, I'm about a quarter of the way through and I've gotten a lot out of it, which is always nice. I've read so much about the Beatles. Whenever I'm able to read anything new or learn something new, it always piques my interest. So that's uh, and hear a different perspective on things. It's always fun. But when it comes to the remixes, what I wanted to do tonight was kind of group our discussion into certain categories. When it comes to Revolver, there are some songs that I think of as Paul songs, some as John, some as George. And then there's Yellow Submarine, which was written by John and Paul for Ringo to sing. Uh, but let's talk about George first. George... This is, in my mind, a very significant album for George, because if you go through the Beatles catalog, he always had one or two songs on each album that he wrote. Well, on Revolver, he has three. He has Taxman, Love You Too, and I Want to Tell You. Each of them completely different sounding, and uh, all of them representing major steps forward in George's songwriting. And let's start with Love You Too, which is track four on the album. And Dan, as we talk about this, let's... Let's also bring into our discussion some of the outtakes that make up the box set, because th- there are outtakes and demos that complete the release, which shed light on how these songs developed. Love You Too is kind of like a sequel to Nor- Norwegian Wood, which also used the sitar, but here it's really a much greater Indian music influence thing. And one thing that stood out to me on the remix of Love You Too is the driving power of that sitar. It's always been present. Track blew me away when I first heard it. It's even more pronounced now. And I would like to hear your thoughts on the remix of Love You Too. Um, yeah, I think the remix actually, for the first time for me, kind of brings out the the true nature of the song, um, where it's really unlike um, Within You, Without You, and um, The Inner Light, uh, which feature Indian instrumentation um those songs kind of are more leaning on um i guess traditional hindustani classical music um compositions uh, where this is this is um what i guess we would call raga rock um and, and i think you get in love you too the 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 rock, the whole track is is is, is driving, um, and you can hear that you're not dealing with just um, classical Indian instruments. There's uh, um, there's fuzz tone guitar on it. Um, there's you said, you uh, said fuzz tone guitar, Dan. Is that what you said? Fuzz tone guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fuzz tone lead guitar. There's um on it. There's um, acoustic and and, and and electric rhythm guitar, um, and then the sitar is basically you know the driving lead instrument. Um, there's a tim and then the timbora in the back and the and the tabla as well. Um, it's got more of a rock vibe than than the classical vibe that um, within you, without you, and and and, and inner light has. And I feel like it's basically um, kind of one upping um, painted black in a way. So it's it's sort of like okay, we're gonna like make this real um, Indian influence rock where um, the sitar is going to play uh, a larger role, um, a more traditional role, but, but mixed almost seamlessly with this rock backing. 
Dan, did Painted Black come out in 1965? I thought it was 66. But prior to um, Revolver. Yeah, I think it's early 66. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say. Um, and I'm um, um, yeah, I'm kind of thinking that just because of um, one of the, the, the stories I read about the naming of Revolver when they were trying to come up with a name and, and, and uh, Ringo had joked that they should call the album um, After Geometry because the Stones' newest album was called Aftermath. Right. And um, and that Painted Black was on that album. So just looking it up, Painted Black was released um, in May of 66. And Revolver was uh, released, I believe, I want to say in August. Um, so it was about, yeah, like three months, three months prior. Um, mm-hmm. So Painted Black uh, would have been released with Aftermath uh, around the same time the Beach Boys released uh, Pet Sounds. What a time for music releases, right? right. It's, it's astounding. But um, yeah, I look at Love You Too as a much more Indian style track than Painted Black, even though, of course, you got the Indian influence on Painted Black. Um, it's a great track, Love You Too. I, I really like it. And one of the things that an outtake shows, if I'm correct about this, is that Paul was working with George on a version. I always, in my mind, kind of looked at it as a pure George song, but you definitely had yeah. At least Paul and maybe some of the other Beatles working with him on developing the track, which is a revelation in this box set. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it, it is because it's one of those things where you think it's. I always thought too it was a George uh, George solo track, you know, right. kind of on the same level as um, as uh, uh, within you, without you. Uh, you know, George maybe laying down an acoustic guitar and then. Um, you know, Indian musicians providing the rest of the instrumentation. Right. Um, but it's really, uh, you know, not as George um, working with Paul. Um, I think, I don't know if I read this in the book. Uh, Paul is definitely providing backing vocals, but I think he, I read somewhere he also may have been playing tambura on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, as well. And, and Ringo's providing some tambourine there. So yes. you have three of the four Beatles plus, um, uh, the tabla player, um, whose name escapes me right now. Mm-hmm. I think his first name is Anil, um, who played tabla on the uh, the tabla drum on the track. Then we go to another George song, which opens the album, Taxman. So it's interesting. George got an opening track on the album, which is very cool. It's the first time that happened to him, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. To- yeah, I don't think he ever had a... I think that might be his only opening track on an album. So that song is Taxman. And Dan, I'm watching The Crown on Netflix and I'm making my way. I'm a little behind. And I have to tell you, when the character of Harold Wilson, who was a former prime minister of Great Britain, was on there, I couldn't help but think Taxman, that's Harold Wilson. <laughs> but um, this was a song inspired by the fact that the Beatles were really having the, I think, the overwhelming majority of their assets taken by the British government as tax payments. Mm-hmm. And it's George's complaint against that. Uh, I've always thought it's a tremendous opening track to the album from the one, two, three, four, and one, two, three, four count, and that kicks it off down to the lead guitar solo, which is not played by George, but is played by Paul, which is this ripping, blistering guitar solo. It's one of the best in the Beatles catalog, actually. And um, in the song, they mentioned Harold Wilson and Mr. Heath, right? I guess was another, was Heath? Another yeah, yeah. Was um, he, was, uh, he was prime minister at one time. He was mm-hmm. at that point, I think the, um actually i think he was prime 
prime minister then. Um, and Harold Wilson, I think, was the the uh, leader of the opposition, which right. was the Looks labor. Like my labor uh, history leader. degree is really paying off for this discussion here. <laughs> but anyhow, you know, it's funny. I can't. I don't know this, but you asked me who plays the lead guitar solo on Taxman. That I know pretty quickly. But anyhow, well, we, um, you know, we we don't live in Britain. British history is that's not, true. Uh, that's true. You know, <laughs> that's definitely true so anyhow um i love tax man i think the remastering sounds great i must be honest with you it doesn't amaze me like some of the remix it, it's not a remaster I, sh I should clarify it's a remix a remaster would be an improvement on the sound a remix is actually taking the instruments and perhaps redoing where they appear on the track and that's something that giles martin was able to do because of the technology that peter jackson invented for the get back film where from what mm -hmm. i understand you could actually completely isolate a vocal an instrument and improve its sound quality and place it in a certain aspect of the track, which is remarkable technology. It's not really available to engineers and producers except the Beatles, where Peter Jackson gave its approval for use. So it's a remix, not a remaster. But the remix of Taxman, to me, is good. It's just not amazing. Do you agree with me on that or disagree? Um, I don't know. I... I... I, I feel like, yeah, I would agree that it doesn't have the same impact as some of, some of the other remixes uh, do, yeah. um, which really kind of as soon as you hear it, you're like, wow, that sounds different. Totally. Um, I kind of was listening to, to Taxman with a different ear because I, I read an interview recently with um, Getty Lee from Rush, and he had mentioned Taxman as being the first like hard rock metal bass line. So... Um, when I was listening to it, I was listening to that, to the, to the bass line and the interaction with Ringo's drums and, mm -hmm. um, and even, you know, the leads in it um, to kind of see if I could hear the same thing that, that, that he was talking about. And um, I don't know if I would go to that length and say, oh, he's the first like, kind of metal bass line, and, but um, it's definitely harder, a heavier, um, bass sound i would say than we've heard um up to that point in on a beatles recording mm -hmm. um i think and uh and definitely you know the guitars are also uh, i think a little bit more upfront than we've heard before okay um kind of playing throughout you know uh these kind of uh that riff uh, it's a very unique riff and also a very similar to the guitar solo. It's almost got an Indian flavor to it as well. The Eastern flavored riff and solo, it makes us, it gives a different sound. Yeah. To that's, the, interesting. Uh, the song. that's an interesting analysis because as you say that I'm, I'm playing the guitar solo in my mind and it almost is like a, you could hear it being replicated in love you too on a sitar in a way. Mm -hmm. It's the way it sounds yeah. pretty well. That's mm -hmm. a very astute observation, Dan. Very astute observation. <laughs> Uh, George's other track on the album is I Want to Tell You, which is track 12. Uh, I've always loved this song. I love this chord change that's in there. Well, if I seem to act unkind, it's only me. It's not my wait, it's not my mind, right? But how that melody goes at that moment. Yeah. It was a very beautiful, fun melody. I love Ringo's drums in it. It's kind of like this little bit of a Dave Clark 5 thing I always found in the track, like this pounding, this banging that permeates mm -hmm. the track. Um also, I think there's a good bass in that song, which to me really is, there is more yeah. evident in the remaster. And the re I said it again, more evident in the remix. And uh, I happen to love that track. Don't have much to add beyond that. I think it's 
is I'm not sure if an outtake or demo is included in the release. If it is, I'm forgetting about I, it. But uh, I'm not sure. I thought, it, I thought there might have been, but let me take a look real quick. It's a benefit of having phones right here. Revolver Super Deluxe. I want to tell you. Um, yes, speech and take four. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't comment on it because I didn't even know it was on there. So what do you think I want to tell you? Um, it's one of my favorite tracks on the album. I always uh, I always enjoy it. Um, I love the, uh, the lyrics of the song, too. Um, it, I think it really uh, does a good job of uh, capturing um, the idea of wanting to be able to express yourself and not really knowing if you have the tools or the medium to do that the way you would like. Um, which is probably, which George was probably feeling very heavily at the point at that point because you know here he was in the Beatles trying to get his songs out, and when you're competing with uh, Lennon and McCartney, it was very difficult to do sure. that. So um, I'm sure he was uh, um, had that on his mind, and also that combining with his um, his delving into Eastern philosophy and, and religion at the time, right. Um, probably helped into influence the lyrics of the song, but I always love the lyrics of the song and love the instrumentation. Love that chord change too. Yes, um, that you were talking about. Um, and the ending also is an Indian thing. I got time. You know the way it ends. Yeah. Another Indian influence on a track, even if the whole song is not a "Love You Too" Indian influence type thing. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, Eastern influence throughout the album. Um, well, would you like to like... take that moment then and use that as a segue to talk about John songs, one of sure. which is the closing track on the album, which was the first song recorded for the album. And I'm going to tell you something else I learned earlier today in a moment. Uh, and that song is Tomorrow Never Knows. Now, earlier today, I was listening to a podcast on Rolling Stone Music Now featuring Rob Sheffield and Brian Hyatt talking about this box set. And Rob Sheffield pointed something out that Prior to the time the Beatles got back into the studio to record Revolver and work on Tomorrow Never Knows, the first thing they did on that album recording session process, the last thing they had recorded, if I'm right about that, was the song You Won't See Me, which was track number three on Rubber Soul. And how remarkable it is to go from a song like You Won't See Me, which is a pop rock song, to then come back into the studio and what do you know, you're working on a track like Tomorrow Never Knows, which is a song that is a... um, psychedelic work of art inspired by the Tibetan Book of the Dead. John had instructed Jeff Emmerich, the Beatles engineer, that he wanted to sound like he was singing from a mountaintop. Dan, I guess a moment ago you said that it was an Eastern influence. Is that what you were? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very obvious on this track. Um, One of the remarkable things which Beatles fans have long known is how this song developed. On the Beatles anthology too, you have Take One of Tomorrow Never Knows, which is also included in this box set, where it's just... I mean, talk about Raga Rock, this pulsating bass beat that I don't know. I don't know actually if I'm saying that right, if I would call it a bass beat, but pulsating beat that goes throughout the song that is remarkably psychedelic in its own way. And then is nothing like the finished version, which is filled with tape loops and noises and weird instrumentation, just remarkable. And I think the remix of this is great. It uh, It's almost like when you listen with headphones on, you're immersed in this cacophony of sound where everywhere you go, you have these swirling noises around you. 
And uh, Dan, talk to us about Tomorrow Never Knows, one of the all-time great Beatles tracks, and your thoughts about the remix. Um, it's it, it's such an interesting track. Um, and one of the things that I, I've always uh, loved about it is it, it, it really is the kind of song that, I mean, you could put on headphones and listen to that and actually um, kind of let your mind float away. You get lost in the sound. It's 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 a sound collage. Um, well said, sound collage. I like that. It's definitely yeah. It's a sound collage, which I think you know when you think people about say it, the same thing about the stuff we love podcast. It's down, it's that a sound is a collage. sound collage. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think you know it's it, it, it's um it allowed for it's a it, it's a canvas. I guess when John brought it in, that allowed for a lot of. Um, creativity and instrumentation to work on it. I mean, when you have a, a song that you're coming in to show people and you're you're singing and and it's the instrumentation is you strumming a, a C chord through the on, on an acoustic guitar through the entire song. It's like, all right, well, what are we going to do with that? How do we make that sound interesting? Um, and then you know the instruction of um, you know wanting his voice to sound like. Um, a choir of, of Buddhist monks singing on, on a mountaintop, um, I think probably opened up the floodgates for them to uh, really kind of experiment with the track and see, well, how can we, one, make this track interesting and two, give off the vibe that John was looking for, which he always, always wasn't very helpful with explaining. Um, I think I read something about this song where he told George Martin that he wanted it to sound orange. Yeah, and, it's fun, amazing. Yeah, finish your story. I know I was going to. Yeah, tell you. and and George yeah. Martin was kind of like, I don't know how to make you sound orange, but you know that's that was his instruction. He wanted it to sound orange. I had read that exact story in a book, literally the other day somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget where, but anyhow, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. That's a great, great point. Yeah, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Yeah, but um, but it's just amazing how they got. And I think that I think the first take would have been revolutionary on the album but the final the final version is you know it makes you appreciate the final version even more and um and like how they came up with adding all those tape loops to create that sound and you know um and again i i think that it's another track with heavy drums um that broken tom pattern um, it's like a heavier version of Ticket to Ride. It's a similar kind of pattern, mm-hmm. um, but a little bit harder, a little bit heavier, and it really is the centerpiece of the song. It's like the eye of the hurricane that everything else kind of swirls around. Yeah, that's a good point. And in a way, it's also, not that I think it, it's considered a dance track, but I could see it as a dance track in terms mm-hmm. of the drums. It's something you could just kind of move your body to if you were so inclined. <laughs> um, but it's oh. a it's a great... Uh, it's a great song. I, I don't have anything else to add to it. People, I think, consider that song the masterpiece on the album. And, and that says something because it's an album full of several masterpieces. But uh, it's certainly one of the best songs in the Beatles catalog and one of the most unique. And yeah, for sure. To to that. For sure. I think it's, um, you know, it's not their most avant-garde track. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it, you could argue it's their most successful avant-garde track. Fair. That's a good good way of saying it. 
Now let's go to one of my favorite songs on the album, which is I'm Only Sleeping. It's track three on the album. Uh, the Beatles released a very cool music video tied to the remix of this track where it's sort of this nonstop art collage that's really cool to see. You could check it out at the Beatles channel on YouTube. I'm Only Sleeping. I always love the lyrics in there. Just talking about John lying in bed, doesn't want to be bothered. Please don't wake me. No, don't shake me. Leave me where I am. I'm only sleeping. Um, lying in bed, waiting for the sleepy feeling, which any of you who have struggled falling asleep can relate to. Uh, I love the instrumentation on the album on this track there. It's um, kind of like a swaying sound to it, a lazy mm-hmm. swaying sound. John's vocal on it is unique again. It's not a pure vocal. It almost sounds in a way kind of like obscured or twisted a little bit to mm-hmm. me. Um, also great harmonies with the Beatles backing him up on it. Uh, I like the remix. I think it's very good. It's again, not one of those that blew me away, but I, um, I, I really enjoyed anything you want to add to that song. I don't have much else to say about it. Surprisingly. Um, it gives you a, a, apparently from, from what I've read about, it gives you a good uh, insight into John's life at the time. I think there was a article that came out around that time that uh, said that he might be uh, the laziest man in Britain um, at the time. Um you know, vying for laziest world um, because he was known to kind of uh, want to just kind of lay about and um, unwind and stay in bed all day and 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 whatnot. So um, it, it's definitely kind of an insight maybe into his mindset at the time. Um, as a uh, guitarist, I've always loved the backwards solo. Yes, it's um, really cool. Very cool. I, it, it's really cool and, and, and it adds... Um, adds to the sleepy nature of the song um, where you have like the main line, but then you could also hear as, the, as it's running backwards, like these little yawns and, right. and um, swells in and out um, really this... is an interesting, interesting addition to the song. And probably one of the first times you had a backwards solo uh, guitar so. solo on a track. And I'm um, correct that that is Paul actually yawning in the song. I believe so, yes. I always thought it was done by a guitar sound, but I've heard several times recently in Revolver discussions that it is Paul yawning, which is cool. It's, it's, a, it's a one of my favorite parts of the track, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the cool things about I'm Only Sleeping in this box set is that you really see the evolution of the song. And you could kind of go back to Anthology, too, and see this as well in the I'm Only Sleeping takes released. But it started off very simple acoustic guitar type track then got in this kind of lounge swinging sound as the song evolved. And then in the final version, it's uh, hard to characterize it on any genre. I don't think it's psychedelic. I don't think it's classical or jazz. It's kind of sixties rock, but it's not rock. And uh, it's unique that way. Mm-hmm. That's I'm only sure. Now, I guess as we go through John's songs, we would go next to Dr. Robert. Does that make sense? Yeah. Dr. Robert. Dr. Robert, never one of my favorite songs from Revolver, even though I always like it. Um, basically about, I think, a rumor to be about the doctor that may have given them LSD for the first time, right? Is that... Uh... Um, I think a mix between that and I think uh, also a doctor in New York City who was kind of a, a doctor feel-good to the stars. I think you know, I think kinda, that's accurate. The, the yeah, doc- you could kind of... It was their dentist <laughs> that gave them LSD for the first time. Yeah, their dentist gave them LSD for the first time. Um it's it's fun. I mean, it's it's a good song. I really, I don't this. I don't want to dismiss it because 
I don't want to dismiss any Beatles songs, but I think when it comes to talking about Revolver, it maybe is the track where meriting the least amount of discussion. Um, anything you'd like to say about Dr. Robert, Dan? I think Dr. Robert was the song that I always felt could have been on an earlier record. I, I, I think it was the one that I was always like, well, that could have been on Rubber Soul, maybe. Um, and listens now, it's the it's the um, the part that now makes me rethink that is the the harmonium part that accompanies the well, 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 you're feeling fine lyrics. Fair. Mm-hmm. When it, it kind of slows down, um, they're doing the harmony vocal. There's definitely an effect on the harmony vocal, and then you have the harmonium kind of swirling in the background. It's a little, it's 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 a little psychedelic, a little different than Agreed. than the um, the folk rock of Rubber Soul. But I think if you had to argue uh, one track that could have been on an on Rubber Soul or an earlier album, it would probably be Doctor Robert. So Dan, go with me here. In terms of putting Doctor Robert on Rubber Soul, think about the song "What Goes On" on Rubber Soul. What goes on in your heart? Mm-hmm. You got this kind of fast-paced background beat. Now go to Dr. Robert. He'll make you Dr. Robert. That's a rubber soul kind of beat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, I, and I think it's the same kind of kind of right. feel there. I agree. I agree. But also, you're right. The psychedelic sound and the well, well, well part would not go on rubber soul. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think maybe another reason uh, with it, too, is that it was one of the three songs that was not that was omitted from the U.S. version of, of Revolver. Um, mm-hmm. The U.S. version took out I'm Only Sleeping um, and Your Bird Can Sing and, and, and Dr. Robert. And those three songs were on Yesterday and Today, which also featured songs that were taken out of the U.S. version of Rubber Soul. Mm-hmm. So that might be why, too, you kind of get that possibly could have been on Rubber Soul feel. Um, but I definitely don't have that, 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 that feeling about, um, I'm only sleeping or, and your bird can sing. Agreed. So, uh, speaking of, and your bird can sing, do you look at that as a John song? Yes, definitely. So one of the things that has surprised me as I've listened to people talk about revolver is just how many people cite and your bird can sing as one of their all time favorite Beatles songs. And I've always liked it, but I've never looked at it as a favorite. Is it one of your favorites? It is one of my favorites. It is one of my favorites, both lyrically and then as a guitarist. Um, I spent many a time trying to um, learn the the lead lick by ear, uh, which is incredibly difficult to do because they're harmonized guitars. So it was, it was always tough to try to try to figure it out. I finally figured it out when I got the uh, the Beatles uh, complete scores. Okay. Actually, separate out the lines. Was that a massive collection with a white box? Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. Haven't seen that sold anywhere recently. No, no, it's hard to find, but I I have a copy sitting on my on my bookshelf. So, wow. Uh, And your bird can sing. One of the things that really stood out to me about the deluxe edition was one of the outtakes. Years ago on Anthology Two, we had gotten an outtake in which Paul and John just break down laughing in hysterics. It honestly wouldn't have surprised me if they were high at the time they were recording mm-hmm. it. But another outtake that appears on this box set, I really like it. It has a very different feel to it. It's very much swinging sound. I don't know how mm-hmm. else to describe it, but it's kind of got this swaying beat that permeates the track, which 
has a has a very garage rock sound. That's something that just occurred to me as I'm talking about it. And that alone is worth checking out the outtake selection for. I think I, it amazed me the first time I heard it. Um, harmonies are great on this track. It's a very Birds influence. Does that make sense? Am I right about um, that? I could see that. I could see that the bird influence. Um, the bird harmony was always um, three-part harmony, uh, the original bird harmony, and it was generally uh, one voice singing the low, the low uh, melody line, mm -hmm. and then a second voice singing the low melody, uh, the, the middle melody line, and then the high harmony. Mm -hmm. So usually it was, um, I think, uh, uh, David Crosby would have the high harmony and then the Gwen sang, you know, the um, the regular, the main melody line. Um, and then Gene Clark had the, the, the lower melody line. Yeah, uh, and that kind more, of created okay. the bird sound. Even and, more than uh, the vocal influence. I was thinking about more of a, from a guitar sound perspective, a bird sound. Oh, from a, from a, from a guitar sound. Um, dun, 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 possibly, dun, dun, dun. yeah, 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 just without the 12 string, yeah, interesting. Uh, but it is, it is a great song. I know you said it's one of your favorites, it may not be one of mine, but it is a fun song. And uh, yeah. there's a debate as to what the influence of the song is. Some people think it's based on an article related to Frank Sinatra, others don't, but I, I do enjoy it. And mm -hmm. um, oh, you know what song we forgot? A John song, she said, she said. Yes, we did. One of the, um, the best tracks on Revolver, um, uh, in my opinion. And uh, it's a very psychedelic song. Apparently, am I right about this, Dan? It was inspired by a party they went to in Hollywood where maybe it was Peter Fonda may have been under the influence and went it, up to John and said, I know what it's like to be dead. And that became a lyric in the song. Am I right about that? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's was Peter Fonda. Um, I think the story is that John had gone... I think it was in, yeah, they were in Hollywood. They had gone to see Cat Ballou, which uh, was a movie that starred Jane Fonda. And uh, John wasn't fond of the film. And afterwards they went out and I think they met up with David Crosby and um, some other people. And, and Peter Fonda was at the, the place where they were. And he kept coming up to John and saying, I, I don't, I know what it's like to be dead. And John was under the influence, but also really annoyed at having to sit through the movie he didn't like with his sister in it and, it and it kind of stayed with him and that became the the seed for she said she said got it and it's interesting because it's a song that musically shouldn't work if you think about how the song goes it's got this weird transition where john goes when i was a boy it, it's just this weird it, it mm -hmm. shouldn't on paper go as seamlessly as it does but it does work very well great ringo drums on the track um, also great guitar riff that is there from the moment mm -hmm. the song begins. Um, remix is good. It's, it's very yep. good. I think it brings out John's vocal more and brings out the drums more. Yep. And one of the few, uh, Beatles group songs, not, I think maybe the only Beatles group song not to feature Paul McCartney in it. I did uh, not know that. Wow. That's yes, amazing. Yes. Um, it's actually mentioned briefly in let it be, um, the, the, uh, the documentary, the Get Back documentary, um, with the the conversation that they have, that was the teapot that or the flower pot, the Mike's flower pot sure. conversation, 
there's a part where that's kind of briefly mentioned when John and Paul are talking, but Paul played on the rhythm track and then there was an argument and Paul left the studio. Um, and rather than scrap everything and wait for Paul to return, uh, George played bass on the finished, um, the finished track. So uh, that's one of the few times you have a, uh, a Beatles group song without, without Paul McCartney. And I think it might be the only time. I don't know if there's yeah. another group song where Paul doesn't play on it. Amazing um, fact. I did not know that. And I yeah. bet most of our listeners didn't either. Um, have we covered all the John songs? I think we have. I think we may have. Um, well, let's talk about uh, Paul. Okay. I think when you look at the Paul songs on this album, it maybe represents Paul's best work on any Beatles album. And the first Paul song that is on there is Eleanor Rigby, one of the Beatles' most famous songs. Uh, it's been talked about at length before. A few things I'll mention about it. First of all, I think the remix is great. I think it brings out the... Somebody pointed out, and I agree with it, his vocals are immersed in the classical instrumentation like they've never been before in any version of Eleanor Rigby that's been released. It works really well. And the instrumentation is so much more pronounced in the remix that it really brings home what was an influence on the track, which is Bernard Ehrman's score from Psycho, this pulsating, mm -hmm. stabbing type sound. Um, another thing that really works well is the additional vocals that come in towards the end of the track, the backing vocals by, I guess it's John and maybe George. I think it's both. I think it's John yeah. and George. Yeah. yeah. I think they sounded great. And the outtakes on this track, what's really cool is that there's a good discussion, which you can hear where Paul is talking with George Martin. And I guess one of the classical um, musicians about what sound he wanted on the track. And it's just, it's one of the all-time great Beatles tracks. It's led to much speculation as to what exactly was he influenced by, how he got the name Eleanor Rigby. That's a whole other show in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But I think it is one of the highlight songs in Paul's catalog, of course, and a highlight of this remix. For sure. I, um, You know, I think one of the things about Revolver is uh, it showcases Paul really coming into his own as a songwriter. And it's also the moment where things kind of switch. I feel like 1963 to 1966 or, or, or 67 was really kind of John dominant. Um, I think John was the, you know, the leader of the group. I think creatively he was the most dominant member during that period. Um, and then October of 66, he meets Yoko Ono. And after that, you start to see John's influence fade and Paul starts to become the driving force of the, of the band. Um, and I think you start to see that beginning here in, in his contributions to, um, to, to revolver um and um and also how well his contributions worked when there was a checks and balance too um 
within the group because you still very much have John active in the group. I think mm-hmm. that you can see them still as full working partners here. Um, you have George getting more involved with his three songs. Um, I feel like they all come together on Yellow Submarine for Ringo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after this is when you kind of start to see, you know, John's influence starts to fade. Um, Paul starts to kind of take over the reins, especially on Pepper. Um, but then, you know, later on, you kind of start to see like um, a little bit of, you know, what would tend to, I guess, happen in some of the some of the McCartney solo stuff where unchecked, you'd end up with things that maybe weren't all that great. <laughs> Give me an example uh, of one of those, maybe not all that great out of curiosity. Uh, for uh, for McCartney solo or the Beatles? McCartney solo. McCartney solo. Solo, not that great. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think as we're do, talking. Do you about want me to go? Do you want? Do you want me to go for the the, the low hanging fruit? Yes. Do I, do I say Krina Corey? Do I? Well, do I go okay, fair. <laughs> okay, fair. I was uh, actually when I was trying to think of an answer to the question, I was thinking from a lyrical perspective where he maybe has faltered in his solo career. Um, but he's always been great at love songs, and yes. I think on Revolver, you have the song that is my, I think I could say this definitively now. I, I feel like this is a, you, you're hearing it here on the Stuff of the Podcast. My favorite all-time Beatles song is Here, There, and Everywhere. And that is uh, on Revolver. It's track five. And again, this is an example of remix making, a, of remixing making a big difference because mm-hmm. where this stands out is the increase in the harmonies you're able to hear the background harmonies much, much more. There's always been a debate. Paul has said this was a Beach Boys influence song, and I could see that. Um, it also was a Great American Songbook influence song because the song starts with a little intro to lead a better gonna, life. Yes. I was going to bring that up. It has that Great American Songbook intro where that you find where it's totally separate from the main song and you don't exactly. hear it again. You only hear it at the beginning. Right. And you hear that in so many of the great American songbook songs, a lot of the Gershwin songs, uh, Rogers and uh, Richard Rogers songs. It's it's all over the place, but it's not in a lot of Beatles songs. And Here, There and Everywhere is one example where it appears. Uh, my problem that I always had with the non-remix track, including the 2009 remaster, is that I always wanted those background harmonies to be louder because I thought they added a lushness to the track. And now finally you get that. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that also stands out on the deluxe edition is the one outtake they include of here, there and everywhere. Now, years ago when real love was released by the Beatles as one of the quote unquote new songs during the anthology period, the CD single included a remix of here, there and everywhere with a very different sound. Sounds very much like Paul's vocal does on this revolver deluxe issue, but that track ended with the inclusion of the backing harmonies towards the end of the track. I happen to like that more than the outtake or remix included on this or the outtake, I should say, Uh, but it's great. And I think it's very gentle. Paul's vocals on the outtake. I listened to it earlier tonight. I was just amazed. It's also another example here, there and everywhere, just like Eleanor Rigby and just like for no one, which we'll get to good day. Sunshine is another Paul track. I got to get you in my life. It's amazing. As as we're talking about this, Mm -hmm. but lyrically, he really improved dramatically as a, as a lyricist during this period. Here, there, and everywhere is is poetry at its finest. And um, 
to me is one of the all-time great songs, not just Beatles songs, but songs. Uh, Dan, anything you'd like to add about Here, There, and Everywhere? Um, I definitely agree with what you said about the backing vocals. I think it, it benefits um, from the remix the same way um, Oh Darling benefited from the remix on Abbey Road, where you could finally hear the backing vocals, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, I know Darling was some great 50s-inspired doo backing vocals that you didn't get to really enjoy in the um, earlier masters of, of, of the song. And um, here, there, and everywhere has that same um, that same effect where you, you get to appreciate the backing vocals um, in the song, what they add, and and how they they do kind of reinforce that idea of it being a, a Beach Boys inspired track. Um, I know Paul always said that um, he uh, was inspired by um, by God only knows. Um, but I feel like uh, if you listen to here, there, and everywhere, you can find more um, of that inspiration on something like um, "Don't Talk with Your Head on My Shoulder" uh, from from uh, from Pet Sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, similar, kind of like a similar vein, a similar sound. How but about I "Please feel... Let Me Wonder" from Beach Boys Today? Oh, "Please Let Me Wonder" too. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, that's another great point. Some uh, similarity there. Yeah. But I think um, um, here, there, and and everywhere is kind of head and shoulders above those tracks, um, and really one of the best. I think one of the best songs in the Beatles catalog for sure. Dan, now would you? I'm going to go to what I think is the next best Paul track, even though it's not 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 the next chronologically on the album, and that's for no one. Uh, this song is basically about a relationship that's over where the girl trying to, I want to make sure I'm saying this correctly. I'm kind of playing out the lyrics in my mind. The day breaks, your mind aches. Yeah. So he's talking about how he's no longer with his girlfriend, no longer with his companion and the impact that it has on him and what it's like when he looks at her after the relationship has ended and sees no signs of love there. Uh, A very unique track with the instrumentation. It's got classical instrumentation included in there, just like some of other Paul, pulls other songs and lyrically it's poetry in fact some may argue it's maybe his best lyrics on the entire revolver album i'm not saying i agree with that there's no right or wrong answer certainly some of his best um don't really have anything to say about the remix i can't remember anything that it brings out in the track anything stand out to you dan um no i don't think the remix really brings anything out new um i started to to kind of uh in this in this last set of listens that I've done with the new release, like focus more on the lyrics and the presentation, um, and really how it, it's it's kind of interesting as a love song as a breakup song because I kind of take it similar to "She Loves You," where it's from it's sang in the second person, um, you know, not necessarily from the point of view of the person who's been broken up with, but from the point of view of someone who's experienced the same thing and is now talking to someone who's gone through this recent heartache and is explaining to them, you know, this is, this is what you're going through. I went through the same thing and this is what you're going to experience. And, you know, that's, that's kind of how it hit me. You're absolutely right. And I feel like, this is embarrassing, but I never thought about it. But you're right. 
you know, so it's not, it's not Paul singing it from the first person perspective. It's him observing someone else in that situation and commenting on it to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting. And it shows a, a maturity in, in, in his songwriting um, to take something from that, that lyrical perspective, you know, what's your favorite um, from for no one. Uh, favorite lyric. I have to run through the whole. Um... And in her eyes, you see nothing, no signs of love behind the tears cried for no one. A love that shouldn't have lasted years. That's a great song. Great yeah, lyric. that's a great one. Um, you stay home. She goes out. She says that long ago. She knew someone, but now he's gone. She doesn't need him. Uh, and, and that's not even music. That's not lyrics that people were including in songs in 1966. Mm-hmm. It's such a revolutionary step forward, not just in recording sounds and techniques, but in lyrics. I mean, this is so groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Conversations like this make me realize that when when we we talk about these lyrics. Um, where do you rank "Good Day Sunshine," another Paul song, uh, in the overall revolver rankings? It's, it's a it- it's a fun song. Mm-hmm. It's very, um, you know, to me, it kind of reminds me of a, um, almost like a young rascal song. Fair. Uh, beautiful you know, morning. Sort of, right. Yeah. Like beautiful kind of like the sunny, um, us psychedelic, you know, pre hate Ashbury kind of, uh, uh, feeling, you know, where you had these, uh, these, these songs that were kind of more set in a, um, you know, in a uh, a folk rock medium, kind of like uh, the Loving Spoonful. Yeah. Um, do you believe in magic? Uh, do you ever have you ever had to make up your mind? That kind of thing. It's yes. a similar kind of feeling to it. Well said. Um, yeah, it's that early kind of wide-eyed, innocent U.S. psychedelia that went away once the acid started hit started hitting hard, and <laughs> yeah. you ended up with you know the Jefferson Airplane and uh, and the Dead, and it kind of took on a harder edge. Right. Um, this is more kind of the light and sunny. Um, which I, I probably influenced a little bit of British psychedelia because, you know, if you listen to a lot of the British psychedelic bands, it was kind of more of this like return to innocence and childhood and, you know, uh, um, kind of a happier, more innocent um, vibe. Than, can, I, can I tell you something related to that point? It's getting a little bit off track. I won't say too okay. much on it, but... I'm reading this book now, 150 Glimpses of the Beatles by this guy, Craig Brown. It's one of my all-time favorite Beatles books. It's 150 stories about aspects of the Beatles. And one of the things that the author writes about with regard to Sgt. Pepper's, the album, not the song, is that so much of the album, we think of it as at the time a progressive major step forward, which of course it was. But so many of the lyrics are actually nostalgic looking back. The idea of a brass band playing in Sgt. Pepper's. You're going to see the band as an old time feel. Uh, Getting Better, a song about school. Um, Being for the benefit of Mr. Be, P- Mr. Kite. That's right. Um, there's other examples too. When I'm 64, the idea of Paul, he of course wrote that song when he was a teenager, but looking ahead to the time where he can look back. Remarkable mm-hmm. musical genius. And uh, the way you describe Good Day Sunshine there, bringing it back to that as sort of this nostalgic fun time song i think it's very true uh my favorite part of good day sunshine is where he sings i take a walk the sun is shining down burns my feet as they they touch the ground and then you get the piano keys and mm-hmm. i kind of always pictured in my mind a person jumping on the ground kind of light, yeah. light-footed and uh 
almost jester like dan i didn't expect our good day sunshine discussion to be this good well it surprises this is what happens when you talk about things but you know um but yeah it's and if you look at a lot of uh pepper you look at um, um a lot of the early pink floyd stuff the the sid barrett pink floyd stuff um see emily play and yeah. and and arnold lane and scarecrow and bike and they're all kind of these songs about looking back to when you were a kid um this kind of childhood innocence of of that and there were a lot of groups that had the same you know a lot of the songs those psychedelic songs had that same kind of feel to them. And taking it to present day, Casey Musgraves on her most recent album has a song called Simple Times. I think it's called Simple Times or Simpler Times, where she talks about, I mean, listening to that song, Dan, brings back many memories of my childhood with you, talking mm-hmm. about going to 7-Eleven and, <laughs> and going to the mall and all this stuff. So that's a theme which has carried on to music today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that, that uh, suburban... Suburban childhood of you know, that was one of the lyrics that always got me in um, uh, uh, Green Day, uh, American Idiot, the yeah. Jesus of Suburbia. There's a line in there about um, at the center of of the at the center of the earth in a parking lot of a Seven Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that lyric and I was like, yeah, that's basically uh, growing up. Speaking of Seven Eleven and Slurpees and frozen drinks at Disney World, I read that in Epcot somewhere you could get. A frozen cinnamon flavored Coke. Really? Yes. <laughs> you ready to go down tonight? I've checked that out. Um, Dan, uh, in the interest of time, let's move forward. Uh, let's talk about Got to Get You Into My Life, which is another Paul song, a song which is apparently about marijuana, although I've never heard the track that way. When I hear it, I always hear a Motown influence because of the heavy brass sounds that are mm-hmm. all over the track. Um one of the cool things on the deluxe edition is that you get to hear an outtake without the horns where I just think it sounds fantastic. And it's, just, I think the lesson there is that if let's say they didn't include the, the brass instrumentation as a pure rock song, this would have been perfect. And it's almost like the guitars mm-hmm. take the place of the brass instruments. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, I, I like that, uh, that, that, version um but yeah you can hear the the brass kind of the brass took over for the guitar you know that was that was exactly what happened i was listening to see if you could still hear the guitar underneath it mm-hmm. um underneath the brass um but i don't think so i think that was probably mixed out and and it's just you know the brass section i agree um, with you on that yeah, i love I this think- song it's a great I've always loved got to get you into my life just from, you know, even the, the backing track, you know, the, the, just the backing track, but Paul's bass, mm. um, you know, there's a lot to be said about the bass on the bass lines on, um, on revolver. And I think the reason they stick out so much is because this was around the time where Paul switched from using the Hoffner to the Rickenbacker bass okay um which has a little bit more of a little punchier sound a little bit more trebly um and uh i think definitely added another layer to the Beatles sound gave it a more kind of driving harder bass sound Mm -hmm. um and you know you can hear it in the album you can hear it on 
uh, paperback writer. You can hear it on uh, on Rain. Um, it kind of changes the sound up a little bit. Um, the bass is a little bit more up in the mix. It's a little more treble. It takes on almost more of a lead instrument mm-hmm. feel to it. Um, so, uh, but you know, here it's just on on Good Day Sunshine. It's just you know, kind of being the rhythm, uh, underlying rhythm drive of the song, but it still kind of stands out. Right, mixes no, I... with the horns so well, and I feel like "Got to Get You Into My Life" is where you know, blood, sweat, and tears in Chicago and Earth, Wind, and Fire started. Like that. Never thought about that. Yeah, but that's kind of where. Like, look, you could have a rock band with a horn section, and uh, and it works. And of course, Earth, Wind, and Fire did a cover of "Got to Get You in My Life." Right, which yep. I think went to number one in the seventies. I think it did. Hmm. Now, Dan, there are three more songs I want to talk about. One of which appears on Revolver, the other of which is a single. Uh, "Yellow Submarine" is the other song that appears on Revolver, and one of the revelations from this deluxe edition is that we now know that the song started out as a John demo, which was quite a sad song in which he talked mm-hmm. about his childhood and saying no one cared, no one cared. In other words, it's a sad song about. A an upsetting childhood that somehow somewhere along the way, probably due to Paul's influence, became a childhood anthem of joy and happiness that uh, was sung by Ringo. And um, at this point, I'm so tired of hearing Yellow Submarine that I I'm always happy not to listen to it. But I find that after not listening to it, when I return to it, it's very fun and enjoyable. And one thing I didn't realize until recently is that I read. When Yellow Submarine was recorded, a lot of stars at the time, like Mick Jagger and maybe Graham Nash, but don't quote me on that, and others were in the recording studio making fun background yeah. noises as well, which you hear on yeah. the track. Yeah. Um, I know Donovan was for sure. Donovan, yes, that's right. That's yeah. another one. Maybe wrong about that Graham Nash thing. But uh, Dan, what are your thoughts on Yellow Submarine as it relates to this Revolver box set? Uh, it's funny. I had a, a, a thought listening to it the other day in the midst of... Um, of, you know, driving to work and having just turned off the news and, you know, listening to Revolver in the car on the way and listening to Yellow Submarine. And I was like, thinking to myself, you know what? It kind of could be a kind of a post-apocalyptic song too. It's almost like an early wooden ships, you know, we all got <laughs> got into our submarine and sailed away and, yeah, you know, from the, uh, the destruction that we're leaving behind and went to, to, to find a better, a better life. I've never thought of it that way before, but that kind of, that kind of hit me the other day, but um, good, good analysis. And, and I think it was listening to that, that John demo and then listening to the, to, to the final version. And it, it's kind of, uh, it's happy, but it could, you could also see it as kind of, um, kind of a wistful, sad looking back kind of thing. You know, we're all going to go off and, find happiness away from where we used to be yeah uh, which might not be so happy um but yeah it's a uh i don't know i always have a soft spot for yellow submarine it's a fun song it is you know what's interesting which i just realized not that this means anything but when the white album had its deluxe box set one of the revelations was the background were the background harmonies on good night another ringo song Mm-hmm. Of course, the harmonies didn't appear like they did on that outtake. And here on Revolver's box set, another revelation is the Yellow Submarine and how that started. Um, yeah. 
Dan, let's talk a moment about Paperback Writer in Rain, the uh, single that came out in 1966, which was recorded during the Revolver Sessions, from what I understand. Now, let's start with, uh, I guess we'll start with Paperback Writer. It's one of the all-time Beatles great songs. Um, I I don't have anything to say about it in the context of this box set. Other than that, the remixing does sound very good to me. I love the harmony sound. Um, but, you know, I, it's it's su- it's such a part of me and all Beatles fans. I don't know if there's any revelations from Paperback Writer. No, I think it's, um, you know, yeah, listening to it again, it brings out some more of the interesting um, mixing, uh, some of the phasing that's done on it. Um, and, and, you know, the vocals are, are the harmonies, brings out the harmonies. It's really kind of another Beach Boy inspired song um, as far as the harmonies go. Um, it's got a, a solid guitar riff and another great, like in your face bass part um, on Paperback Writer. Um, actually, kind of brought out to me how much uh, um, the Monkees recording of Pleasant Valley Sunday kind of is a Paperback Writer copy in a way. It's very similar um, yeah. from the riff to the, 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 you know, kind of the composition of the backing track there. It's a similar melody yeah. and beat to the paperback yeah. writer. Didn't think about that yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah. So that stuck out. Um, but yeah, really nothing else to add. I think rain is the, is the more interesting of the. And, and tell us why. And I'm glad you mentioned this. And this is a shout out to our sometimes co-host Scott, who couldn't be on the show tonight. But who specifically said, "Are you going to talk about this track?" And we are not, to Scott. So this is for you, Dan. What talk about why you think Rain is a revelation? Well, we've got the the is, the, is it the original speed, the the, the yes. fast speed, the original speed, no vocals, just Rain, instrumentation. Before they they slowed down the mix to give it the feel that it that it has uh, on the on the finished track, and it's. Definitely an interesting listen. Yeah, that's amazing because the song Rain always to me had a a slow but steady beat. But on this original speed, it is pulsing and it is fast paced, almost like a mini punk rock type of sound mm-hmm. in terms of the speed of the music. And everybody has always said that if you want to hear why Ringo is a great drummer, listen to Rain. And that was on the slow down version. When you listen to the sped up version and Ringo's drumming, it is mind blowing. It's like, how does he keep pace with the song, with the bass and guitar? It's a revelation in terms of just how remarkable a drummer Ringo was mm-hmm. and still is. One of the things that, you know, and Ringo always gets a bad rap as a drummer because it, I, I think it, it's in the post, you know, the post Bonham, Keith Moon, um, you know, drummers. Because, you know, he wasn't this loud, showy, flashy drummer. Um, but one of, I think a lot, some of the things that you can say about Ringo is very creative. His, his fills, his drum parts always fit the song. And he could hold tempo for an extended period of time without slowing down or speeding up. Right. And, you know, one of the songs that kind of gives you a, 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 a 
little bit of an appreciation for that. Not something that jumps out, but listen, second time we're bringing it up in this podcast, listen to what goes on, on, on rubber soul. And listen didn't expect to the, that tonight to come up yeah, twice. Right. But listen to the, listen to the drumming. He holds, I mean, he's chopping wood through the whole thing. It's a, it's a, it's a simple steady beat, but he holds tempo through the entire song. It yes. doesn't speed up. It doesn't slow down. Um, he's consistent and it's like, you could always rely on, on Ringo to kind of to be there and, you know, keep the song going. And, um, you know, and rain too, you listen to the sped up version of rain and to hold that pace yeah. without, you know, without messing up the tempo for that period of time, like it's over three minutes. Um, there's not many drummers that can do that. No way. And there's also not many bass players that could play a bass as good as Paul plays on rain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love in the track where they sang rain again, an Indian Eastern influence sound with mm-hmm. this Raga type sound. And you almost, I, I guess, is it a bass that you hear kind of pushing that along? Is that Paul's bass? That's Paul's bass. And it's, it's interesting. It's again, it's, it's the, um, the Rickenbacker, which again has a treblier, sound than the Hoffner. Um it's yeah, it's it, it's really kind of an interesting jump in sound from the Hoffner to the to the Rick. The Hoffner is a, a, a hollow body um short scale bass. Um and the Rickenbacker is uh a neck through it's it's solid body um and then again those those Rickenbacker pickups are a little wired, a little bit higher. So you pick up more of the trouble of the bass. And then Paul actually for rain, I think I, I read, um, capoed it. So he put a capo on the, I want to say I read it was like the fifth fret. So that also um, gave it more of a, um, a higher pitched kind of um, driving sound. Um, and that's where you get some of those cool little licks from, from rain. Dan, what what else can I say <laughs> that, that hasn't been said already? Um, anything you'd like to add about Revolver and the box set? I think the box set um, is pro- is one of one of my favorite of the the new releases. I'm glad that they when they first announced Revolver, I was kind of like, eh, you know, and then um, really enjoy revolvers uh the the re-release it's it's definitely my up there in my top three um yeah of the re-releases so would you say it's made you appreciate the album more it's 100 percent made me appreciate the album more i think i um i think it's kind of tied for my first favorite now what would it uh, be tied with with the white album okay because the white album again it's it's always up there for me, I, I like the varying of the of the of the music of the material. Um, it's the first Beatles album I really listened to, front to back and front to back. Um, but uh, but Revolver, just uh, listening to this, I'm like, I really enjoy this album from beginning to end, and I like the varying of the material, and I think it works better than the White Album does, and um, it just has a lot of great songs. Dan, let me ask you a question. Well, I guess before I ask you this question, I'll just say that I agree with everything you've said. It, it is definitely one of my favorite Beatles re, uh, reissues. It has made me appreciate the album more. 
And it's made me kind of rethink, where do I rank it compared to Pepper? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I think I had to choose. Maybe, I, I don't know. I was going to say I choose Pepper, but now I'm kind of thinking about it. I just don't know. Maybe Revolver. I think one of the things that um, gives me the lean more towards Revolver, mm-hmm. um, which has changed because, like, you know, back when we first started listening to the Beatles, it was like, you know, Pepper was Pepper. Right. Um, that was the, the masterpiece. Um, one of the things with Pepper is, as it's a great album, but I think when you think more of what Paul always says about Pepper kind of being, okay, we're going to, we're going to, this is going to be, we're going to one up pet sounds. We're going to, this is going to be our pet sounds and we're going to one up it. Um, you can see that when you listen to the, the, um, listen to the album and you listen to um, the orchestration of the songs and, you know, the feel of some of the songs that they were trying, you know, that trying to go in that kind of more um, advanced, um, sophisticated, more orchestrated um, avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, yeah, the Pet Sounds um, influence, you can see it on Pepper. Um, the Beatles were making a revolver during, you know, at the time that Pest Sounds was being made and released. Right. And so Revolver is the Beatles doing what they were doing without really kind of kind of inspiring them, right? They weren't trying to, oh, listen to this, like, let's copy this. It was them done with the road, right? Right. Um, in the studio, and now trying to say, okay, well, we're gonna make the studio part of the instrumentation, and we're gonna do what we want to do, and put on tape whatever kind of we- comes into our head, and what we want to work out. And there's nothing really. I mean, I this is just my take on it, but I don't feel like they were basing their work on anything else. I agree with you on that, and I think that sums it up perfectly. Dan, because we are going long, I want to ask you one last Beatles question related to Revolver, and then we'll turn to Stuff We Love segment. Um, How do you find yourself? I'm always intrigued how people are listening to music in 2022 in the 21st century here. Obviously, you're listening to a physical version some of the time because you got the box set. But Mm -hmm. what about streaming? Have you listened to it at all on streaming? So I've I've streamed it. Yes. Um, Streamed it on Spotify. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was both uh, listening to it in the car um and listening to it um just like you know if i put it on around the house i've you know got it off of my phone um i've listened to it on cd so i've you know brought it with me to work and when i'm you know uh staying late and grading i've listened to the to it all the cds on it right um and then i got it on vinyl yeah so did um, I. So I, I just got this, to it yet. yeah and i so i listened to it on vinyl the other day how is um, it so i got it's really good. Yeah. It's really good. So um, I've gotten to experience it, you know, all of the ways that it's been released. So, um, which I, you know, I've, I've, I've enjoyed doing. 
Uh, so, Dan, with that, we're now going to turn to the part of the show, which is the Stuff We Love segment, where you and I are going to mention one thing we're enjoying right now. It could be a movie, TV show, song, book, whatever it may be. Uh, what is your Stuff We Love recommendation tonight? Uh, my Stuff We Love recommendation tonight is um, watched on Netflix the other day. It's uh, the Freedom's Clearwater Revival Royal Albert Hall uh, concert. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's a documentary and, and you get the live performance as well. So uh, the documentary portion talks about uh, how they got um, from the very beginning to the Royal Albert Hall performance in 1970, um, narrated by Jeff Bridges. And um, and then you get the performance. Cool guy. Yep, cool guy. Um, and then you get the performance and, and uh, it's great to hear them um, live in in 1970 playing you know pretty much all of the great credence tracks um because at that point they'd released um their first album bayou country green river uh willie and the poor boys and had just i think released cosmos factory so it's a brunt of their work right there uh, so it's a very cool uh cool watch great recommendation i didn't even know that was on netflix so that's really good to know yeah, and apparently they just released, I guess, a box set of that of that uh, performance um, on CD and vinyl. So I'm going to check that out too. Oh yeah, wow, good stuff, uh, Dan. I'll give actually two real quick if I could. The first is on sure. Netflix. It's the TV show Wednesday, which is the update on the Adams family, um, which is breaking all sort of viewership records. Apparently, it's doing remarkably well. You know me, I love horror films. I love Tim Burton type stuff. He directed the first four episodes here. I think it's just a fun show. If you like the Adams family and you like fun horror, check out Wednesday. It's a very enjoyable show. The other thing is a Sirius XM station that is exclusive to the app called Perfectly Frank. They now have an all Frank Sinatra channel. They oh, had cool. a Frank Sinatra influence channel called Seriously Sinatra, which is available still and on car radios. But this is all Sinatra all the time. And I think it's fantastic. It had a... It, it, its release was just the other day. I haven't listened too much to it, but when I have listened, it's like a journey through Frank Sinatra's entire catalog from the 40s through the 90s with the duets album. So uh highly recommend that. And those are my stuff we awesome. love recommendations. Awesome. And that reminds me of a little sad piece of piece of news. Uh, anyone who's been down to Point Pleasant Beach, um, there was a house on the boardwalk mm-hmm. that from morning till night, um, always played Frank Sinatra music. Um, as soon as whoever lived in the house got up, they'd start the music and it would go until like midnight. Yeah. You walk past that house on the boardwalk anytime uh, dur- during the day and hear, you know, great Sinatra tracks tearing from the house. They just recently sold the house. So it's like oh, really? a, kind of like an end of an era there. You know, there's no more Sinatra house. Wow. That's not, yeah. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I'll tell our listeners where they could find the stuff. We love podcast. We are on Twitter at stuff. We love pod Instagram and TikTok at stuff. We love podcast. Our website is stuff. We love podcast.podbean.com. You can find links to all of our prior episodes there. Write to us. Stuff. We love podcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you think of the Beatles album revolver and the remix. And, uh, Find, to, find us on all the podcast platforms if you haven't done so already and subscribe to us there. Lots of great Beatles content in our archives featuring my wonderful esteemed colleague, Dan. And uh, there'll be more fun stuff on the way as well. Uh, now, I don't think we're going to have an episode out 
for maybe a week or so. There may be one or two episodes out before the end of the year because we're going to be taking some time off as we get into the holidays. I say that only because December is beginning tomorrow and schedules get quite busy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Dan, as always, this has been so much fun. Thank you for your friendship and your insights into the Beatles catalog and music in general. From the time that we were kids, you've always made me a bigger music fan and you continue to do so to this day. Thank you. I'm I'm glad that I've uh, been able to do that. Uh, It's it's been a, this is always a good time. It's always a good time, you know, getting together and talking music and um, especially when we have great material like this to talk about. That is true. We have uh, the textbook is good. The textbook is good tonight. Um, Let's go around the table one more time. I'm Scott. And I'm Dan. Dan, take us home. And this has been the Stuff We Love podcast.